0: Happy to have you along for another in our series of episodes with Summit Point, the Behavioral Health Authority in Calhoun County, Michigan, Battle Creek, and Environs. I'm Richard Paya. Today, we're talking with Suicide Prevention Facilitator Scott Tishmer at Summit Point. Hello, Scott. Hello, Richard. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you. Welcome back. Actually, this is a, a second time that we've talked in this series, in fact, Scott's first episode is listed in the show notes for this episode, so you can click through and hear more resources as it relates to suicide prevention. What does that really mean, Scott, as a suicide prevention facilitator? I guess, first of all, what does that mean? And then how do you look upon it in terms of the goals of what you do?
1: Yeah. So my job title, Suicide Prevention Facilitator, a lot of people might assume that I'm providing crisis counseling, thinking about kind of individual therapy role. My job is actually community facing. So I lead our county's community suicide prevention efforts. It can look like a number of things. One of the big things is education. So when we talk about suicide prevention, Historically, somebody is experiencing suicidal thoughts or engaging in suicidal behavior, then the traditional suicide prevention model, that person would receive a different array of variety of mental health services, maybe outpatient counseling, um, psychiatric hospitalization. A little bit more recent would be crisis stabilization. But those types of services, suicide prevention could also include things like QPR trainings, training the community about what the warning signs to look for that somebody might be facing a suicide crisis. And then not just to notice those signs, but then to actually know, okay, I have a role in this. There's something I can do that I need to do to to help get that person support. Suicide prevention could also mean, we use a term called postvention, which means providing the supports and interventions, even after there's already been a death by suicide, because we know that that is a crucial time for those survivors, for those that have been impacted, to get support. Because very often, when somebody has died by suicide, much more likely to experience what is called complicated grief, complex grief, where don't necessarily as often get to go through the the natural grieving processes in the same way as we are able to if somebody has died by another way. So that's really a crucial point to provide that postvention, which in itself can be viewed as a an aspect of prevention as well. And then I think it really needs to take a a public health approach because not everybody who's died by suicide was necessarily experiencing a mental illness at at that time. So there are broader risk factors than just mental illness. Um, Certainly we know about depression and other mental illnesses that are correlated with risk, but there there are broader risk factors that don't don't always include mental illness. So uh, that's why really a public health approach and why prevention is much larger than just you know, therapy, hospitalization.
0: Is there a presumption that if someone is experiencing suicidal thoughts that they are depressed or or they have some other associated ailment that needs to be addressed? I think that's an assumption, right?
1: Yeah. And, I, and it can be a false assumption. Certainly yeah. can be accurate. In some circumstances, but for some individuals, it's a false assumption. And I can kind of myself working in the field of suicide prevention, we need to take some of the responsibility because I think for decades we did speak almost as if there were this one-to-one correlation between suicide and depression that is not the case. And, and like like we've just spoken about, there's not even a one-to-one correlation between suicide and mental illness. So I think one really important thing, one message I would like to get out there is that if we hear about or if we know somebody that's died by suicide, it really isn't necessarily the healthiest thing to speculate and come down to these assumptions. Well, they must have been experiencing depression or even making assumptions about a certain life situation that, that they were in. We often, you know, we all want to make sense of the world in which we live. And, and so we come down to these reductive views that are often overly simplistic inaccurate, and can, I think, do a disservice to people that are currently struggling or that might be struggling in the future.
0: Yeah, boy, we've learned some things, haven't we? <laughs>
1: we still have a lot, a lot more to learn. But yeah, yeah, boy,
0: that's for sure. So when you talk about community facing, my sense is you're focused on the element of education. And that could be a a broad-based message, right? You're trying to reach as many people as possible. And in doing so, are you particularly aiming at at someone who might be affected somehow or think they know someone who's experiencing suicidal thoughts or you just want everybody to know?
1: Really, messaging can be specific to, to so many different individuals. Some of the messaging will be focused specifically on you know, going back to those lost survivors, somebody that's lost somebody, there is pertinent, specific information that can help that individual through a grieving process, through understanding what it is they're experiencing, why they might be having the thoughts they are, the, the reactions, um, trying to normalize some of that might have very different messaging Um, If it was specifically to, say, the population of individuals that have made a suicide attempt and and survived, which I actually, I am a suicide attempt survivor myself. That's how I came to do this work. So the messaging to those individuals is going to look different, right? It just makes sense that it would look different. But our goal as far as my role and as far as leading the work of the Suicide Prevention Coalition of Calhoun County, we really want to reach all people because everybody has a role to play. Suicide prevention is a community responsibility. And that's what I would keep going back to as a community responsibility. The more people that are educated, that are knowledgeable, um, and that feel like there is something positive and impactful that they can do to help others and help themselves, the better chances any one person in our community is of surviving a suicide crisis.
0: Well, appreciate your. Alluding to your own story there. And so many times in these episodes, chatting with you and with your colleagues, that's the message I get is uh, you are all somehow very directly connected to the challenges you're now helping other people overcome. So let's just point it out that here's another of those situations where one of you is is speaking from experience, and that resonates, I presume, with the, some of your audience. That someone who can understand what a person might be going through in these situations is terribly helpful.
1: Yeah, it usually helps, especially if I'm doing community presentations, um, or for out at community events, or if I'm doing trainings. I think it hopefully makes me a lot more approachable to people that might have been impacted themselves, to people that might be struggling themselves. They see this guy coming, uh, talking and and sharing about what he's been through. Hey, yep, he he was at that lowest of lows, was lucky enough to survive, and is and is here to kind of pay it forward in a sense. But I think by having myself or, or uh, many of my coworkers at Summit Point that that have that lived experience, I think there's just a certain sense that it helps people feel like. We're on the level playing field. We have some shared experience. I think that that means a lot.
0: In reaching folks to help them understand about suicide prevention, you mentioned QPR training, but there's just general training that folks can go through to gain knowledge about this.
1: Yeah. And that's the thing. One of the main trainings we do is called QPR. It stands for question, persuade, refer. That acronym was chosen specifically to parallel CPR. And if you think about it, we shouldn't assume somebody's gonna know how to how to give somebody CPR. If they haven't had training, so I shouldn't be expected to help sustain somebody's life who's having a, a heart attack if I've never had that training. I think we should say the same thing about if somebody's facing a suicide crisis. In what ways should I expect to be prepared to support that person if I've never had any training? So QPR training is really important because it is not innate knowledge. You know, these are things that we have to learn, um which which is why having the vehicle of a training like QPR, where it takes as little as 60 minutes. And that's where I go back to that. We want to target the entire community because the more people that are trained in QPR, the better chances anyone in our community has of surviving a suicide crisis.
0: When we talk about QPR, we're talking about a basic ability to understand how to respond to someone who might articulate a suicidal notion
1: we start out by breaking down the myths, the misconceptions, the misperceptions, because suicide, it's something that is not often talked about. The only time it is mentioned is usually after there's been a celebrity or public figure that's died by suicide. And, And then maybe people talk about it. And a lot of times people make these speculative, overly simplistic statements, assumptions about that person, which is not all that helpful. But then, you know, a month later, we go back to silence. Nobody's talking about it. So in that silence, there's a lot of myths that come out. So the first thing we break down some of the myths, then we really get into um, talking about the warning signs to look for. And QPR, the basic ones we cover, verbal warning signs from the obvious ones of somebody talking about wanting to kill themselves, um, to less direct verbal signs and clues. We also talk about uh, situational clues. And that really gets into major life events, life transitions, um, things that could happen in somebody's life that could put them at greater risk. And we talk about behavioral clues, so the different behaviors in addition to those verbal statements. And then we get into how you help that person, and that's where the QPR action plan comes in. Question, we need to ask that person directly, openly, are you thinking of suicide? Are you thinking of killing yourself? The next step, persuade, we need to talk to that person, listen to that person in a way that shows them that we care what they're going through. I think the most important thing we can do is to to really to listen to that person um, is the best thing we can do to persuade that person to want to accept our help, to want to, to live. And then the last step, refer. It's really important we provide that support, but we also need to get them connected to professional supports. Um, And this is where I tie back into the CPR analogy. You know, when somebody's applying, providing bystander CPR on the side of the road or wherever they may be, that is life-saving support, but somebody's calling 911, medical professionals are going to come in and provide some really life-saving support too so no different we need to get those professionals involved as well and again we do it in as, as little as 60 minutes just get that basic knowledge because again this is not innate wisdom that everybody just is born with or carries around we have to be taught we have to learn this
0: right so someone's clicked on this uh randomly and now they've heard you say there's there's training like qpr that's pretty regularly scheduled, is it?
1: Yep. And the easiest way to access this for the individual in the community is if you go to our registration site on Eventbrite, you can sign up. We offer this monthly on a monthly basis. Depending on the month, we might have it even offered uh, more than once a month. But that's the easiest way for individuals to to take this training. But we can also come to community organizations workplaces, schools, and we can provide this training for free as well. We can do it in person or virtually. So um, that one that I mentioned at the Eventbrite registration, those are all for for our virtual trainings.
0: Talk about a lunch and learn. There's a a great way to do that. And we'll link that in the show notes for this episode so you can just uh, click through. Are there other trainings that folks should consider taking?
1: Yeah. So after somebody's gone through QPR, what I usually like to tell them is, you know, if you thought this training was helpful, um, if you're looking for the next step, one that I really recommend is Calm, C A L M, which stands for Counseling on Access to Lethal Means. There's a free online training at self paced that you can take counseling on access to lethal means. It, it took me roughly around two hours. Some people might be able to get it done a little bit quicker, but the reason that training is is really the next step is because if we're looking at what type of interventions that we know have the ability to prevent suicide it is what is known as lethal means safety and safety meaning putting as much time and distance between that person that might be facing a suicide crisis and any potential lethal means so just giving somebody time and distance space between them and the, whatever that lethal means is it saves lives it's just a matter of practicality because What evidence shows is that for the vast majority of people that face a suicide crisis, the window where that person is likely to act on those thoughts, that window usually only lasts a matter of minutes to hours. So if that person is able to get through that that period of time, if they don't have immediate access to things like firearms, medications, drugs, and alcohol, if they don't have that immediate access, much greater chance that person's still going to be around the next day. We just want to give somebody time to get through uh, that crisis, that that moment where they might act, um, it saves lives. And I, I think it's fair to say for the majority of people that have gotten to that point, if they're just able to wake up the next day, that level of risk of them acting on those thoughts drastically diminished. Person still certainly needs help, needs support, but just giving that person time for that impulse to pass, it sa- saves lives. Again, it's a matter of practicality. So that's why that count, that column training is a really important next step.
0: We're talking about, especially with the calm training, sort of an amped-up situational response that maybe some people are a little afraid to 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 get involved in. Do you ever run into that where you you people might say, yeah, "I'm kind of interested in this training, but I, I don't know if I could act." It's it's like CPR, right? Sometimes people are afraid to take action, even if they have been trained. I suppose in some ways, do you run into folks who? who would say, well, I don't know if I could do that, but yet they're talking to you. So they've got it in there somewhere. How do you prepare them or how do you give them a pep talk about that?
1: There are definitely different, I would say, mental tricks. There are mental tricks I have to use. I, I could use myself as an example. So even in my professional life, I've I've done roles where I was providing mobile crisis response. So when somebody calls that 1-800-CRISIS number, I was one of the people going out. Um, I did psychological fir- first aid response. So going out uh, to the scene after there's been an unexpected death, critical incident, um, as well as I've worked in intensive case management where the individuals I was supporting very often chronic suicidal thoughts is something many individuals experience. So mm-hmm. I could even in those times, even as a professional with training, right, still find myself afraid. I don't think there's going to be anything it's going to fully take away some fear and anxiety. And I I think to a certain degree, a certain degree of anxiety is is good for us so that we stay vigilant.
0: Um,
1: So there's nothing that's going to fully take that away. But I do think there are things that can give that person confidence. The education alone is really meant to bolster that, to give that somebody increased confidence. But I also think we we hear, um, we've had people say, you know, I was in a situation where I heard my buddy saying these things and I was really worried about it, but I was afraid to, I was afraid to bring it up. I was afraid to address it. And they said, it might be really hard to ask that question. Are you having thoughts of suicide? But they said, you know, it's probably even harder when you don't ask it. And then you just worry about it. And then obviously the worst case scenario, you didn't ask it. That person didn't get support. And if it is somebody who eventually went on um, to take their life, that's the hardest scenario. I think- there is. Um, And and I don't want to misrepresent suicide statistics. As far as a death by suicide, it is a statistically rare event, but it is, has been one of the leading causes of death for many years. Um, The only thing that took it off the top 10 leading causes of death in the the United States was uh, 2020 with the pandemic. So, Uh um, but while it is a leading cause of death, it is also a rare event. So usually suicide rates often measured, reported, in the tens per 100,000 population. So, I mean, that's that's the number, which is still far too many, but it, it's, it's also statistically rare.
0: Before we go, let's talk about what 988 is all about. Yeah, so this is
1: one of the biggest, I think, most important advancements since the last time we spoke, Richard. At that time, I believe we probably talked about and shared a 10 digit number for the national suicide prevention lifeline. Um I'm not even going to repeat what the th- what that 10 digits are because we don't need to memorize that anymore. Right. So since then, actually this is as of July of 2022, all across the United States we have a 3 digit number 988. So it is now the 988 suicide and crisis lifeline, 3 digits People are as as people become to know it. It's going to be just as ubiquitous as nine one one. Everybody knows nine one one. At some point, hopefully not too far down the line, everybody's going to know nine eight eight. And the really cool thing about nine eight eight: not only can somebody call nine eight eight from anywhere in the country, you can also text nine eight eight for support. Get a get a trained crisis counselor on the other end. It doesn't matter what you text them, but if you send any text to nine eight eight, you'll get that response back. So that is one of the biggest advancements that I think is really going to be one of the most important suicide prevention pieces, because if somebody is facing that depth of despair, contemplating ending their life, they shouldn't have to wait to get support. And so having that immediate access and having a number that we can actually remember and disseminate is, is really crucial.
0: All right. Nine, eight, eight and distinguish Scott, if you would, the difference between 988 and 911 as it relates to a suicide crisis situation?
1: So, anything that could be a medical emergency, um, I would especially say if there's somebody's already sustained a serious injury, we're going to want to call 911. Uh, but if there's not that immediate medical emergency present and somebody's facing a suicide crisis, whether it's the person calling themselves or whether they're aware they're they're seeing something. And this is what happened in my case. I was I was out somewhere. Somebody thankfully saw that something was going on, notified uh, deputy sheriff that saved me. So it doesn't matter if you're the person who's in crisis or if somebody else, 988, as long as they don't need an ambulatory response, right? Um, 988 can not only provide that direct support to the person that's in crisis if they call but if I'm worried about somebody else or'm I'm, I'm seeing something that gives me concern I can call 988 and say hey this is what's going on I'm not sure what to do even going back to you mentioned if people have been through your training but they still don't feel confident that's the other thing I tell them is you know what you have been through this training remind yourself of those steps but if you get to the point you're facing a situation and you're you're not sure what to do um, can't remember all the steps call 988 tell them what's going on they can help. Walk you through how to help as well.
0: And if someone was experiencing suicidal thoughts, they could dial 988 and speak to someone who's trained to work through that with them, right?
1: Correct. That person could call. Eventually, the goal of 988 is that direct response that could be a standalone service that helps many people, many people just. Just need to have that support, again, to get through that window of crisis. So where this impulse is there, just having that other person on the other end of the line can help get, I would say, the majority of people through that window where, okay, an hour later, they're feeling better. Uh, But the goal eventually for 988 is to not only to be able to provide that standalone service. Of that trained crisis counselor but to also get people connected to their local services um, like summit point or like whatever behavioral health services are in their local region so that's the goal down the line we're not currently there yet with 988 that's why i would make another distinction so we have 911 for certainly for emergencies um 988 for not just a suicide crisis but really any mental health crisis behavioral health crisis but then I would also say we also still need to promote our local Summit Point Crisis Helpline because that is the way for people to get directly into services in Calhoun County. So I'll share that 1 800 632 5449. That still has a place. 988 has a place. And obviously 911, which everybody is aware of, ha- has a distinct place
0: as well. And someone could walk in to First Step at any time, right?
1: Yeah. So not only can anybody call that 1-800 number, um, regardless of age or insurance. At 175 College Street, Battle Creek, just walk in to First Step, 24-hour physical location you can go to. That could be for a suicide crisis. It could be for any mental health issue, substance use. Come in through the door. You can call the 1-800 number. There's no wrong, no wrong path.
0: Got Tishmer, Summit Point, Facilitator of Suicide Prevention Services. It was good to have this Uh, catch up with you and uh, we hope we've resonated with some folks I imagine we have thank you Richard thank you